Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with industry veterans Michael Hartsman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartsman. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. And I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella, both of us on Long Island this evening. How are you, Dom? Doing well, Mike. Uh, dealing with a little bit more pleasant weather and uh, enjoying my stay here in New York. So thanks for asking. Good for you. Well, happy to have you on Long Island, as always. Um, so look, you know, I, I, this is going to be a little deja vu all over again from the last week or two, Dom. Right now, the market seems to be settling into a little bit of a pattern. Um, last week, from Wednesday on, the news was all about NVIDIA, the, the giant semiconductor company that has been dwarfing the news and, and dwarfing the indexes for most of this year. Um, the market was down the first part of the week in anticipation of their earnings. Their earnings uh, blew out any expectations, and the stock market had a very, very, very good back half of the year. Quick review of the numbers, and I'll let you uh, go ahead and chime in. Last week, the S&P was up 1.7, the Dow was up 1.3, and the NASDAQ was up 1.4. And year to date is really interesting. Both the S&P and the NASDAQ are kind of running neck and neck. The S&P is up a little bit ahead, 6.9 versus 6.67. And the Dow, which has been going on a lot lately, has been bringing up the rear up only 4%. No one's going to sneeze at 4%. But those Dow 30 companies, you know, Amazon went into the Dow yesterday, I believe, um, but those Dow 30 companies a little more sleepy than what we see in the NASDAQ or some of these um, AI tech giants. Yeah. Uh, so so on your point, Mike, uh, the prior week had been negative for, for those that do follow the show. And it kind of continued through the first half of last week. Um, and then as you spot on, Mike, uh, the NVIDIA noise news just blew the doors off of what even optimistic analysts were expecting. Uh, and the key there was not only did that stock particularly perform well, which just been just been a monster all year long, but that momentum. And the idea that companies across the, our ecosystem were adapting technology to help them improve profits, which buying NVIDIA computer chips will do eventually, it kind of buoyed the whole, the whole market, Mike. It, it really kind of threw a different light on the prospects of future profits. And so the markets ended the week in, in pretty good shape and up for the week and setting an all new all-time high on, on the S&P. Um, NASDAQ, not quite as good. Generally speaking, um, NVIDIA did well, but other companies seem to be in the tech sector seem to be falling behind a little bit. But overall, it's been a pretty good start to the year, Mike. You're spot on. Pretty good start to the year. I'm going to put you on spot a little bit. I know you follow this number pretty, pretty closely. Tell me again, what percentage of the gains in the S&P 500 is NVIDIA responsible for? 
Yeah, so so it's just an amazing number because you brought up Mike. The S and P is up uh, over a little bit over six percent. One quarter is actually a little bit more, but one quarter of the entire gain for the year so far is just Nvidia stock. Um, two stocks represent over half the value, and four stocks represent three quarters of the total gain for the year in the S and P 500. So there's a quite quite a few stocks out there, Mike. Where we hear it all the time. Oh, the markets are doing great. Um, the markets are doing great. The index, but a handful of stocks are responsible uh, for the majority of those gains. And ironically, sorry, Mike, to talk uh, a little bit. Further than normal here, but a few stocks, very well known stocks, uh, Apple in particular, Google, having a little bit of a rough time so far this year. So it's not the Magnificent Seven anymore. Uh, what are they calling them, Mike? The Something Four. I'll leave that, that up. Fantastic. Fabulous Four. Fabulous Four. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, I know I know Tesla, you know, dro dropped out of that category as as well. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's. And what, so what, what, what you said in plain English basically means you either had to own the index, right, the, either the SPY or some form of the S&P 500 index, or those four companies in particular to fully participate in that almost 7% gain of the S&P 500. Yeah, uh, and again, there's there's a few others that have done well. Uh, I, I like to bring up Eli Lilly because of their uh, weight loss drug, and, and there's a couple of companies out there that have done uh, particularly well. But uh, we're still dealing with a very very concentrated market, uh, and most of it uh, being these very large growth companies that have done very well, and and that's fine, that's fine. But we need the rest of the market to catch up. We had a very fortunate uh, uh, event at the end of last year in the fourth quarter, where a lot of these companies that just did nothing all year long finally did catch up. We think that's going to happen again at some point this year, but it's been a pretty concentrated year so far. I'm glad you mentioned Eli Lilly, because if it wasn't for the AI frenzy, everybody would be talking about these weight loss drugs. And 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 they're real and they're legit and a lot of people are using them and they work and people are buying the stocks. But Dom, that is the stealthiest rally I could ever remember seeing because these stocks are creeping up and people are buying their drugs, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah, it, it, all this other stuff is dominating the news, uh, Mike. And, you know, we always talk about having a diversified portfolio, not putting all your eggs in one basket, and the value of owning a much broader bucket, right, of investment vehicles. And this is, is proof positive because as much as these tech stocks have done really, really well, we know, Mike, that can turn on a dime, right? If, if a new computer chip comes along, if a new... Uh, uh, a phone app or system software comes along. These things can just move very, very quickly. And something like healthcare, uh, does anybody need any less healthcare, Mike, than we needed yesterday? And given the age of the population, we still think healthcare is a really good place to have some of your eggs in, in our portfolios. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be polite. And I'm going to say, look, we both have eyes. We live in a pretty overweight country. 
So, so you know, these these drugs are transformational because Dominic, there's a ripple effect. If, and we want people to lose weight. We want people to be healthier. We want people to work out and, and eat well. But God willing, that'll lead to less diabetes and less heart failure and, and less knee replacements and joint replacements. So the effect of these drugs is not just people losing a few pounds. It's going to affect the entire healthcare industry. You're, you're, you're spot on, Mike. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, clearly, we all, well, I won't say we, I'll talk about myself. We'd like to, I would like to lose a few pounds, right? And, and, the reality is that as we all get older, we need to be in a healthier place. And you're, you're exactly right, Mike. If if just as a population, we were able to lose this weight and live a healthier lifestyle, um, that makes all this other stuff, whether it's diabetes, whether it's joint replacements, heart valve replacements, transplants, right? We, we can go on and on forever. So uh, there's going to be some pretty, potentially some pretty significant ramifications from this. I'll give you one little curveball, Mike. Um, one sector that has not been performing well is fast food restaurants. I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> You're able to go ahead, Mike. You pick that one up. I, 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 we both heard it at the same time that, you know, people are worried that like the McDonald's and the Dunkin' Donuts and the Subways are not going to do well because people are, are skinnier. They don't have the appetite. These drugs suppress your appetite. And, and and these stocks have gotten beaten up as a result of these weight loss drugs being so popular. Yeah. Um, so, again, I'm not making a call on that. We don't make uh, uh, stock calls, right, Mike? But we do go to an awful lot of uh, seminars, listening to analysts and quote-unquote experts, and we take their opinions in stride. But that certainly is an opinion, right, that, that if uh, more and more of these drugs come into our society, there's a significant amount of health ramifications, positive, um, but there's also some potentially economic uh, negatives. Um, I think we can live with those, Mike, myself. Look, I think I think we'd both be thrilled the day a drug comes along, we could actually eat as much pizza as we would like and not have it negatively affect us and lose weight simultaneously. You know, Dom, that's like the client who says to us, I want to make as much money as I can, but but don't take any risk. Uh, or or nor should I pay any taxes on the gains. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. So listen, let's pivot. We, we have another returning guest tonight, uh, Chris Adrian, who's with who's with J.P. Morgan. She is there. She's executive director and a, fi and a 529 specialist. When we had her on last year, the Secure Act 2.0 rules as it affected 529s were just coming online. So Chris went over them. But she really couldn't give us as much detail as she would like. So now we have a little bit more color, a little bit more background about that. And then and then furthermore, she was telling us before the show that the FASA application, which is a financial aid application, has been streamlined. So we're thrilled to have Chris back to do kind of college savings 101, but also give us an update, Tom, on, on all the new rules that have come into effect since we saw her last. 
Yeah, Mike, uh, and if I can add uh, before we get her on, I think this is exciting stuff. Now, it may not move the needle in terms of wealth planning, but I think uh, there's some doors open today that just make the whole conversation so much easier with clients and maybe some really, really positive news for clients that have had these uh, 529 plans for their kids for a very long time. So this is going to be a great conversation tonight. So on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Chris Adrian from our friends at JP Morgan. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-G-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, Chris Adrian, who is the uh, Executive Director and, and 529 Specialist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. We talk about J.P. Morgan all the time. You guys are great friends of ours, and uh, we welcome you back, Chris. Good evening. Thank you so much. Good evening to you guys, and, and thanks for inviting me back. I'm very, very welcome. Great. Welcome on board. We're looking forward to the conversation tonight. Me too. I, I have some really great updates for your clients. Can't wait to share. We appreciate that. You know, but but let let's start kind of fifty thousand feet in the air. You you remembered that Dom and I, you know, are both grandfathers and, and God willing, we'll help, we'll help our children and, you know, send our grandchildren off to college one day. And we both have grandchildren between six and newborn, right? Mm -hmm. 
And Dom has seven of them. So Dom's going to get more nauseous than me. <laughs> but according to the chart I got from you guys, private school for a six-year-old to a newborn will cost somewhere between $434,000 to almost $600,000 by the time they're ready for school. Correct. Yes. And that's because of tuition inflation. So if we think about tuition inflation, it's one of the fastest growing household expenses in the country today, and it has been over the last four decades. So on, on the slide right before that one, page seven in our little college planning essentials, tuition inflation has grown 873% over the last four decades. And when you average that out, it's about 5.7% every year. So that's why on that particular slide, slide seven from our college planning essentials is so daunting because we are anticipating that that inflation rate could continue. So, Chris, we we, you know, we came out in 2022 of, of, of an extended period of time where there was no basic inflation in the economy. Right. Yeah. We, we basically had zero inflation for years, zero interest, low interest rates for years. How do colleges justify just automatically raising the tuition five percent every year come hella high water? Yeah, there's a couple of factors. The big one, just like any big expense for any company, is your employees. So they beef up the beef up their staff and faculty. They did cut them during COVID, unfortunately, right? Because a lot of kids weren't able to go back to school, but they have accelerated the hiring process again post-COVID because they want that faculty to student ratio to be low, makes the college more attractive or university. And again, that is their biggest expense. So when they do that, they have to pass that on to the student. The other big factor, though, is that the federal and the state government are giving less in way of aid to the universities and colleges. So they have to make that up by passing that cost on to the student. And then you've probably noticed probably in your neck of the woods that a lot of them have been beefing up their facilities. They're trying to make them even more attractive with an athletic facility or a computer lab, something that makes it very attractive to the average student. So for those reasons, JP Morgan believes that that 5.7% roughly could continue for the foreseeable future. So Chris, there's been obviously a lot of kickback lately at these colleges and universities, whether they have their own endowments uh, that they could be utilizing more. Um, and certainly uh, the argument from people, the value of that education and what it means in the real world. So I really kind of want to tie it back to this idea of the 529 and we call them college savings plan, but how can we use these tools going forward to maybe uh, mitigate some of this cost, either by going directly to one of these places and or looking at alternatives to, to higher education or college education uh, and being able to use the proceeds from these 529 plans to do that. Yeah. So the great news is back in 1996, the federal government created a college savings vehicle for the average family. It's called a 529 plan, and they are very flexible. Um, they are designed to be used for higher education purposes, but the good news is the federal government continues to expand the way that families can use them. So 
traditional higher education expenses. You have tuition and fees. You have room and board. You have books and supplies, special needs services. Should your child need a tutor, perhaps, in the future, you can use them for that. But then we have other non-traditional higher education expenses that are now considered qualified. And some of them are not higher education, actually. You can use them for K through 12. So if your child might be going to a private school, you can now use a 529 up to 10 grand for K through 12. Um, you can also use them for apprenticeship programs. So if your child may not be going off to college or maybe going to a vocational or a trade school, you can use them for that. So pretty flexible. And then probably the most exciting thing that Michael had alluded to before is that with Secure 2.0 that passed a few years ago, you have the ability to roll over up to 35000 into a Roth IRA for the same beneficiary. So for a lot of families that were concerned, well, Chris, what if we don't need to use all the balance in the 529? What if my child gets a full ride, hopefully? Um, what do I do with that? Now they have the ability to create a retirement account for their child in the future in way of a Roth IRA. And there are some guardrails around that, which I can certainly go into. But did you want me to expand on on that or was that? No, no, no. Let's definitely okay. let's let's get let's definitely get into the weeds of how that works, Chris, because you know, my clients, Dom's clients think they hear thirty five thousand dollars, they go, Great, let's do it. And then we have to slow them down and say, well, we can't do it all at once. So let's definitely get into the weeds on how that works. I know you have a, a deck for the people watching on Zoom. If you want to open up that deck and walk us through that, whatever works for you. Yeah, absolutely. So let me pull up what we call our college planning essentials. And let me scroll up to the first page so you can actually see the cover page. The good news is this is something that Michael and Dominic have. So if this is something that you'd like to use with your family, I like to encourage what I call kitchen chats, where I sit around my own kitchen table with my two kids and I speak about these slides. For me, it's been nine years because I've been in the 529 team for, for nine years. So when they're really little, they probably had no idea what any of this data meant. But I think what's important when you have those kitchen chats is your children become more invested. My son, Joe, who's now 16, really wants to get great grades because he understands the value of the scholarship component. So with the college planning essentials, we have everything from the cost of college, which Michael had highlighted earlier. We have slides about financial aid and the FAFSA changes that are coming um, or have come rather. And then lastly, the 529 plan with those qualified education expenses were that we just spoke about and also the Roth IRA. So I think I'll just quickly hop to page seven was the one about future four-year college costs. And what I really, sorry, page eight, what I really wanted to highlight on this, to your point, Michael, if you look at the far right, for example, a newborn that's born today, 18 years from now, will be about 250,000 for four years all in at an in-state public school. There'll be 434,000 for four years at a public out-of-state school, which is becoming even more popular. And then lastly, there'll be 582,000 or more uh, for four years of private school. And these are just national averages. So depending on where you live, if you're on a coastline, it could be slightly higher. 
but these give a pretty good indicator of what future four-year college costs could look like. And that's based on the factors that we talked about before with tuition inflation. So, Chris, I'm just going to interrupt you one second, because clearly people that are going to be watching this are going to watch your charts. But if anybody who's listening now live and, and not looking at the charts, just call our office, email us, and we'll be happy to get you this deck. We can email it to you. So I just want to interrupt you for one minute, Chris, and we'll let you continue. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for saying that, Dom. So the other thing that I wanted to highlight is that this is the sticker cost of college. And when you factor in financial aid, hopefully there's gonna be a net cost of college. So let me jump to slide 12. And that's the financial aid reality check that we've created. The top, you've got the grant reality in blue. Now just keep in mind that grants are need-based. So typically most families get phased out of grants if their adjusted gross income is about 48,000 roughly. But at the bottom, the scholarship reality in green, the great news about scholarships is that anybody is eligible. They're based on the merit of the student and 61% of families do receive scholarships. On average, if you look at the bottom left, just under eight grand each year. So that's that net cost of college that we were talking about. However, when you look off to the right-hand side, we'll only cover about 14% of an average four-year public college. So big key takeaway is while well, 14% of our costs might be covered by scholarship, how do we fund the other percentage? Um, and my favorite stat in the entire deck, by the way, is in the bottom right where it says the 0.3%. That's the average of all college students across the country who actually receive a full ride. And that's both athletically and academically. Well, Dom or Michael, did you guys get a full ride to college? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> That's okay. Very small probability, 0.3%. Um, my son, Joe, is an excellent athlete. He does three sports. He does football, wrestling, and track and field. And my husband is convinced that he's going to get a full ride athletically, maybe at Ohio State. But I often point to that stat, the 0.3%, and we are investing for Joe's future instead of planning on the, any scholarship money for that matter. But um, that's where the 529 plan comes in. So that's the good news is that there probably will be a net cost of college for a lot of families, but it is a pretty small percentage. So we need to plan for that. The next thing I thought I could cover kind of keeping along with the financial aid vein is the FAFSA. You guys want me to hop there? Would that be okay? And we'll talk about the big change. Yeah, let's talk about the FAFSA and then we'll take a break yeah. when you're done with that, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, I get really excited about these slides. So if this is too much, let me know and I can. Well, well clearly you do. You you shared them with your three-year-old daughter at the time. So I did. Yes. <laughs> and she had no idea what mom was talking about, but now she does. Now she's 12 and she thinks this stuff is pretty cool. So with FAFSA, a lot of people have no idea what the formula is that the federal government uses to figure out how much you're going to receive and give aid. And what the federal government is trying to solve for is the student aid index. That's new this year. They used to call it the expected family contribution. So just when we got used to saying expected family contribution, they changed it this year to student aid index. The reality is the formula is identical. Nothing has changed there. But what I really wanna highlight is that parents' income 
is the biggest driver of the financial aid formula. It's a sliding scale between 22 and 47%. If you're in a lower income tax bracket, you'll be closer to the 22. But if you're in a higher income tax bracket, you'll be closer to the 47%. Again, that is the biggest driver. That's typically where families get phased out of federal financial aid. But I also think is important if we're looking at that left-hand side is that parent assets are only up to 5.6%. So if you have a 529 plan or if you have any non-retirement accounts, it's only up to 5.6%. So some people will say, well, Chris, I've heard that if I invest for college in a 529, it's gonna hurt my aid package. It really hurts you no more or less than if you held it anywhere else that would be non-retirement, including checking or a savings account. So I think that's a key takeaway here. A big change that just happened with FAFSA simplification is at the very bottom, grandparents and others who wanna open a 529 for the benefit of their grandkids is 0%. It used to be that you'd have to count those withdrawals two years later. That completely goes away with FAFSA simplification. So Michael, for you and Dom, those 529s that you're opening for your grandkids, the great news is it's 0% once the grandkids go off to college. So that's some wonderful news there. That's great news, uh, Chris. We, we're constantly dealing with grandparents. It's the core of our client base and they wanna know how can they help their grandchildren. So this is great news to be able to pass on to them. Yeah, a 529 is a wonderful way to do that. And the other big change, this is kind of the bad news with FAFSA simplification, if you had multiple students in college at the same time, there would be an accommodation for that. And your student aid index would be smaller. That completely goes away this year. So what that means is if you are paying multiple tuition payments, those have just increased, or rather your aid package has decreased because there's no longer an accommodation that there used to be as um, there was last year. So that's another big FAFSA simplification change that unfortunately impacts most of the families that we work with. However, it just means we need to plan as if we are gonna be receiving very small aid packages and invest in a 529. So that's the FAFSA and those are the big changes there. Um, Michael, did you want me to go into qualified education expenses? Well, I think what we should do, Chris, is let's let's take a break now. And then and then when we come back, I do want to explore more how the Roth conversion feature works. And then we could talk about other stuff after that, if that's okay. Definitely. I think that's a great plan. All right. So let's take a break and we'll be back with Chris Adrian from JP Morgan um, right after this. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm -mm. Less taxes. More income. Less 
taxes. More income. Less For taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free I'm Income Fund. Less taxes. Or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Letax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, Chris Adrian, Executive Director at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, specializing in the 529 area. Chris, before we go into the new rules as it relates to Roth IRAs, and a benefit uh, for 529s that don't get used. I just want to go back to the point you made about K-12 through and, and private school. A lot of people on Long Island go to religious school, either whether mm-hmm. Catholic or yeshiva or wherever. There's no, there's no exemption for religious education, is there? Is it, does it cover all private schools? It does, yeah. So that K-12 through tuition up to 10K is for any K through 12 where you're gonna be paying tuition out of pocket. However, if it's a New Yorker, in the case of Long Island, for example, the state of New York has actually made that non-qualified. So if you do pull money out of the 529 for K through 12, unfortunately, the state of New York will recapture your state tax deduction. So you do wanna be careful if you've taken a state tax deduction in New York with your 529, um, not to use it for K through 12, or just be aware that there would be that recapture. And Chris, I'm sorry to underline this comment, but that's if you're using a specific New York State 529 plan that you've taken a deduction on your income tax, on your state income tax return, correct? Exactly right, yeah. Okay. You know, well, if I remember correctly, guys, it's not a gigantic number, it's like $325 or $350, right? That's right. The savings, the annual cost savings yeah. with the deduction. But if right. but if you did it, Mike, and they don't care if it's three dollars. New York State's going to make you go and uh, recapture the uh, tax savings and make you pay taxes on it. No, no, I I know, I know, but, but the, I don't. I, don't well, I would call it more the headache factor. Exactly. I I don't want people not to do it because it's not it's not a, a gigantic uh, taxable burden. It's just a, a nuisance, like you said. So, Chris, let's talk about some of the good things. You know, last year we covered it, and we didn't really go into detail about this Roth 
um, option because a lot of the regs were still being read and they weren't 100 percent ink wasn't 100 percent dry so now let's go into the details of this new alternative uh people have um for 529s if a child does not use the money for higher education yeah so the great news is with secure 2.0 of the 92 provisions that were in secure 2.0 the ro the rollover from a 529 to a Roth IRA got the most press, which I was thrilled about. And so we definitely wanna help cover those questions that clients may still have on it because there are a lot of guardrails around it. So that's this slide here, slide 25 from the College Planning Essentials. The very bottom, you'll notice who's eligible, how much can be rolled over, and when can rollovers occur. So those guardrails are that you have to have held the 529 15 years or longer, and that's original account inception date. You can't roll over anything you've put in over the last five years. So what the federal government is trying to prevent is people dumping a bunch of money in today and then rolling it over to a Roth IRA tomorrow. But to Dom's point, if there is a leftover balance in the 529 and people are concerned, what am I going to do with that leftover balance? They now have flexibility. They can roll over up to 35000 as the lifetime max into a Roth IRA. Now, what we've highlighted on this slide is if you do that between the ages of 23 and 27, and by the way, the way to do it is up to the Roth IRA contribution limit each year. So this year, that's 7000 But if you do that over the next five years, Hypothetically, you could have over 600,000 in a Roth IRA once that child or grandchild reaches age 65. So we have um, hypothetically put in 7% as the annual rate of return, but it could be a huge benefit if they have the ability and they have a leftover balance to have a retirement account for their child or grandchild in the future. And, and two points, one, this is a Roth. So that's 615 is tax free. Exactly. Yes. Um, that that's a that's the good news. The the other point I want to make is is on who is eligible, bullet point number three, the beneficiary, the child, in this in this case most often, has to have a job, right? Has to have earnings up to the contribution in order to make this work. Exactly right. Yep. So and additionally, Chris, they, would, they would have to normally have qualified for a Roth contribution no matter what. That's right. And it does count as your annual Roth IRA contribution limit um, for the year. So unfortunately, they can't add to a Roth beyond doing this rollover from the 529. The good news is there is no income limit, though. So typically, people have income thresholds with Roth IRAs, with this particular rollover provision, there is no income limit. So anyone would be eligible to do it. You don't have to do it when the child is between the ages of 23 and 27, like we illustrated here on the page. You could do it at any time. So you could continue to allow it to grow in the 529. And if you determine they're not gonna have any grandchildren or future generations to pass to, you now have the ability to move up to 35,000 into the Roth. 
And under the old rules, Chris, if they ha- it would just stayed in the 529 and not used for these educational reasons, the withdrawal would have resulted in a taxable event and even a penalty, right? So this is this is a nice escape clause, at least for some of the money. That's exactly right. So if you were to pull money out of a 529, which is a really good point, Dom, there is a 10% penalty, but it's just on the earnings within the account. And then there's also federal and state taxes, but again, just on the earnings component. And that's because when you invest in a 529, it's always after-tax money. So you're really just being penalized and taxed on the earnings when you pull it out for a non-qualified reason. So if the family does need the liquidity, it's not completely tied up. They can pull it out. They'll just have some ramifications. If they're New Yorkers, there's also a recapture of any deduction that they've taken. So you just want to be aware of that as well. As it pertains to this rollover provision that we just spoke about, New York is making this a non-qualified rollover. So again, state tax deductions that you may have taken if you invested in the New York 529 and took a New York deduction, then you would have the state tax deduction recaptured. So definitely wanted to point that out because um, it's not very well publicized and it is exciting that you've got the flexibility. You just want to be cautious about the, the ramifications. And just to be clear, while the government opened up this door, they really didn't shut any of the other doors. So a parent or an owner of the 529 could still change the beneficiary if they choose to. And as you pointed out earlier in the show, use it for, you know, for uh, K through 12 if they wanted to. So all those other options still exist. This is a new one that was added, correct? Exactly. Yep. So still have maximum benefit. And this is just an added quiver for five two nines. And for a lot of families that maybe lost sleep, that they would use all of it, gives them some peace of mind that they've got something else they can do. So, so Chris, Mike, Mike brought something up and I just want to emphasize it for a little bit. Um, so typically our, our client of ours opens it up for their child and now we're dealing with a scenario where maybe they're not, the child is not using it all, maybe they didn't need it, uh, and we have leftover in the bucket. Talk a minute about changing the beneficiary, the, the point that Mike brought up and how else can we use these, these dollars? Yeah, so 529s can be shifted up to first cousin and that's a tax-free event. They can also be changed down the family line. So if you wanted to use them for future generations, some families use them as legacy 529s where they're considering that, yeah, 18 years from now, they're hopeful that their grandchild might go off to private school, but they're gonna need almost 600,000 18 years from now. Let's let the 529 ride, maybe for future grandkids as well, even after their child has graduated from college. So there is no age at which you have to pull the money out. It's unlike any other type of retirement vehicle where you might have a required minimum that you have to pull out. There is none of that with the 529. And you can also change ownership. So um, for a lot of 529s, people add what's called a successor owner. If they were to pass away, it will simply change to the successor owner. So completely stays out of probate that way as well, which is really helpful. Now, Dom, when it comes to changing beneficiary, did you want me to speak about 
the rollover to the Roth? Or did you mean what I just covered? Well, uh, I, I, you covered a point because a lot of times um, we get, hey, one child needs the money and the other child doesn't. One goes to a, a four-year college and one goes to a local community. So we're in a, a scenario again where they're like, oh, I'm stuck. And the, you have amazing flexibility to change and refocus the dollars in, in these buckets to where you might need it. And I love the idea that you can switch it to a grandchild and keep that legacy going. So I, I think you were spot on on uh, what I was looking to get an answer for. And certainly you can switch it now to these uh, potentially these Roth IRAs and what the rules are for switching there. Yeah. And then when it comes to gifting, 529s are really special when it comes to the amount that you can gift. Do you want me to cover that as well and yes. how much you could put in? And yes. then for Mike and Dom, you could do this for your own grandkids. If your children are listening, then they're going to love this. But with the 529, let me hop to the next slide. You can do something very special. It's called an accelerated gift. It's where you can take this year's annual gift limit, which is 18000 per child. Actually went up $1,000 this year, which is good news. But you can accelerate that. You can multiply that number by five. So if you're an individual tax filer, you can gift up to 90000 per child or grandchild. If you're married filing jointly, you can gift up to 180,000 per child or grandchild. But what I like about this slide is it really shows that power of compounding and that impact if you've got a best case scenario where you have a newborn today and you're making that one-time gift. And if you look at the top, if you're gifting 90,000, you'll pay just over 100,000, about, a, um, pardon me, 103% of in-state public college costs will be covered by that one-time gift. At the bottom, where you're, if you might have the ability to give it up to 180,000 per child or grandchild, you'll be a roughly 88% of four-year private college costs in the future. So just over 513,000 is what that could potentially grow to. Now, again, these are just hypotheticals. Um, we did assume that it would be a 6% rate of return compounded monthly. And of course, not sure if the market will go up 6%. Hopefully it does. But hypothetically, that, that power of compounding could be really great and could cover an enormous amount of those college costs in the future. And Chris, so my, I, I know you're not an estate attorney. And so I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you can't answer the question, then, then obviously don't. But a lot of people will call us, the children will call us, they got to get money out of their parents' names, you know, scramble doing a Medicaid application. And gifting is subject to clawback, meaning, you know, if, 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 they, if, you, if you give a gift, you can't go on Medicaid three weeks later. I assume that the government will claw back a gift also if, if they consider it, you know, a sham, even if it goes into a 529, correct? Correct. Yeah, so unfortunately, this is one of those gifting scenarios where it will be added back. Um, if the client may pass away within five years of making the gift, it also gets added back to their estate. So not that you have to liquidate the 529 because it will pass to the successor owner and the child can still benefit. But for estate purposes, when they're paying estate taxes, they will add back whatever years were remaining um, into the 529. So hopefully that helps 
explain a little bit of, of how they would file that on their taxes. Yeah. So the, the point is, Dominic, we have to make these gifts while we're healthy and yeah. It's exactly well, right. Uh, Mike, truthfully, we're always trying to do this planning without having a crystal ball that predicts the future. So you make your best efforts and your best planning suggestions, and then it all works out the way it works out. But but the idea for me, and I think for a lot of our clients, uh, Mike, is we can set up legacy planning that is multi-generational. And for a lot of grandparents, there's nothing, and I'm going to include me and, my, and my, myself and Mike in, in the conversation, there's nothing more glorious than taking care of your grandchildren. So um, I think these are wonderful, wonderful tools that used properly can do a tremendous amount of good somewhere down the road. Yeah, especially when you think about how there's 1.5 trillion in student loan debt out there. And it's absolutely crippling for someone who is a new graduate of college where they have to start paying back their student loans. In a lot of cases, it can be several hundred dollars. Depending on where they went to college, it can even be about a thousand dollars. So if you have the ability to invest when the child is still young and be able to cover those college costs and they don't have to take out the student loan, it can be very, very powerful. Chris, talk, let's do a refresher on what's a qualified withdrawal. Sure. Obviously it's tuition. And yep. I think it's dormitories. I think it's books. It's not buying a plane ticket to get your kid home for Thanksgiving. So talk about some of those qualified and non, and you know, those, those eligible withdrawals, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. So good news is I have a slide for that. Yeah, it's a shocker. Slide 24. <laughs> <laughs> so again, on the left-hand side, you have all the traditional higher education expenses. You have the tuition and fees, the room and board, books and supplies, computers and related equipment, so laptops, printers, ink, that's all considered qualified, and then apprenticeship programs. And the good news is New York considers apprenticeship programs qualified, so you can definitely use it for that. On the right-hand side, though, in green are all of the non-traditional ones, those expansions that the federal government has done recently. The educational loan payments, you can now pay back an old student loan up to $10,000, and um, that's over the life of the 529 account. If you need special needs services, like a tutor, and then that K through 12 tuition that we talked about before, that's up to 10,000 per child or grandchild per year, but it can only be used towards tuition. And again, the educational loan payment and the K through 12 tuition, those are non-qualified state of New York level but only if you have a New York 529 plan, would that be impactful? In so question, you know, we, we brought up a few times the you labeled it here, the apprenticeship programs, but one of my favorite stories, a client where their child learned to be a welder. I'm convinced that child now makes more money than most doctors, but putting aside that, um, if you're gonna be a welder or a plumber or an electrician or a bricklayer, any trade school, will basically, I hate to say any, but most trade schools will qualify for the tuition payment uh, from the 529 plan. That's absolutely right, yes. And the rule of thumb is it has to be considered accredited. One of the best ways to check to see if a school is accredited is to look on the FAFSA website 
they have what's called a school code search. You can type in the name of the school. It even has some schools abroad. So if you have a child who's thinking about going to school overseas, there's a number of accredited colleges and universities abroad where you can use the 529 as well. But yes, vocational and trade schools definitely considered qualified as long as they are on the FAFSA website. Chris, you just raised the point, which I cannot believe I've never thought of sooner in all the years of being a financial advisor. If a parent sends their student to, to Europe or to Asia to study abroad for a semester, can they use their 529 money to pay for that? Yes, as long as that school or university is listed on that school code search on the FAFSA website, that is a qualified expense. And, and, and most certain- of the programs, Mike, are through the school that right. uh, the student is going to. So the, most of them might, well, I shouldn't say will, but, but I would say there's a prob- better probability than not they are accredited and therefore um, would qualify. Chris, we have about three minutes. Is there anything we didn't cover that you feel is super important to cover before we let you go? Yes. So the other piece that we didn't speak about is scholarships. And there's a number of scholarships that go unused. So I wanted to hop to a particular page and forgive me as I scroll through the number of pages that we have in the College Planning Essentials. You can tell we've got a slide for most anything that you may have questions on. But what I wanted to cover in particular are some aid and scholarship websites that we've sourced from all over the country. So this is page 35. It's in the appendix in the back of College Planning Essentials, but if you look in the upper right in particular, the grants and scholarships, goingmary.com, really popular this year for high schoolers that are looking to apply for grants or scholarships online. This is beyond the federal government, obviously, but it is important that they could perhaps source some other scholarships that are out there, and it's completely digital. So they can actually create an online profile for themselves and they can cut and paste certain essay questions and answers so that they don't have to continue to type the same answer over and over again. So that's, I think that's really helpful because I remember as a senior, I had to handwrite all of my scholarship essays. Now they can simply cut and paste it from a Word doc. So we definitely want to encourage families to do that. Try to apply for additional grants and scholarships. We have other helpful websites here on the same page. I won't review those today, but especially important if people are thinking about aid and how they could get additional dollars beyond the 529. Chris, this deck, College Planning Essentials, is user-friendly, correct? We could share this with our clients? Yes, it is end client approved. And again, definitely encourage that kitchen chat where they might sit around their own kitchen table and use these slides. So, Dom, what I think we should do is we, you know, we send this broadcast to every one of our clients. I think we'll have Larissa and Scott add this deck to the email. They'll have it automatically. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, Mike. And I, I encourage people to to call us, Mike, right? Uh, email us. Uh, we're happy to reach back out to Chris if we need additional assistance. But, you know, one of the most heartwarming uh, conversations I have with my clients is how yourself included, Mike, we help them educate their children and just good common sense planning. We may not end up paying for 100% of their tuition, Chris, but if we put a dent in it, that's that goes a long way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And also at a time. I appreciate your, you hopping on board this evening. I appreciate you returning. And good luck to you and your new driver. I, I'm sure he'll be safe. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry if I went too long, guys. No, uh, no. Perfect. We just look forward to having you back. That's all. Same. So grateful to Have see you. Have a great both. evening. Thanks. You too. We will see you soon on the next Labenthal Report. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic and Michael will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.